Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Today, I'm joined by none other than the HMO Property Investor of the Year, Mr. Mike Clay. Great friend of mine, a business partner of mine. I didn't know Mike was going to win this award. Of course I didn't. But I had always planned to get the winner of this award onto the show because it was set to be a very prestigious award. And if you looked at the calibre of applicants nominees for this category, you'll know that it was incredibly tough. Well, of course, Mike walked away very proudly and rightly so with this award. And today what I want to do is get Mike back on the show. I want to talk to him about what it takes to be an award-winning HMO property investor. I want to talk to Mike about what the last four years of building his business looked like. Now, of course, Mike's a familiar face on the podcast. His original episode is still to date the most popular and most downloaded episode on the show. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you go back and listen to it. It's incredibly inspiring. And I promise you can expect exactly the same today. Inspiring, exciting, interesting, honest, transparent. We're going to talk about it all. And I'm going to do my very best to extract as much of all of this as I can from Mike for you guys. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with myself and Mike. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Hey, Mike, thank you for coming back onto the show. Hi, Andy. Nice to speak to you again. I feel like you're becoming a regular on, on the podcast. And before we get into today's episode, everyone will know that you and I are business partners, but this episode with the winner of the HMO uh, Best Investor of the Year Award was kind of planned to come on the show, <laughs> and it just happened to be you. <laughs> so you're great to have you back. No, but it is actually great to have you back. Yeah, it is actually great to have you back. And actually, it's about time that we, well, you still hold the highly regarded spot of most downloaded episode today on the show. Wow. Yeah. And so I think it is a great time to have you back on the show and talk about what's been going on, get an update. And really find out what it takes to be HMO Investor of the Year. Well, first of all, and I said this to you straight away and, and several times since, but 
Well done, mate. I, I was so pleased for you to win this award because I know you so well and know how hard you've worked. And we're going to talk about that today. But yeah, well done. On behalf of the community and our podcast listeners, HMO Investor of the Year, how does it feel, Mike? <laughs> slightly amazing and humbling, given the quality of the competition that was in there. When I was uh, sitting in a room looking at all the names on the, the wall of, uh, and, and what amazing things they're doing, I was quite humbled to win. So it feels, feels incredible. It also feels like uh, we've only been doing this just over four years, two years uh, full time. So it's just... Yeah, it's awesome to win for something that I absolutely love doing. So to, to win an award for something that you love doing is is fantastic. And you've always got a smile on your face. I mean, literally, always have a smile on your face. And it's quite funny because we are such good pals now. But And we're, yeah, we must speak every two, three days. We, we've got to speak about something that's going on. Yeah. But quite often, you're on a boat or you're <laughs> on a paddleboard or... <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday and you're out with the lads and I love it because I remember when we sat down four years ago something like that and had those first conversations about you wanting to leave your corporate job had this idea of building this portfolio what does it all look like and I, and I remember that this timepiece just like wanting to do more of your own stuff yeah. and more stuff with the kids and the family and the holidays was that was the whole purpose and to see you doing that and always sort of being so happy and enjoying yourself and really making the most of it is wonderful to see. Thanks, Andy. I've got a few questions I want to ask you today. I'm, mm. I'm really excited about this because this is going to be quite a different podcast episode, actually. I suppose where I would like to start, though, is what, do, what does it take to be HMO Investor of the Year? You know, I, I know you're not you're privy to all the other applicants, but as you said, there were some fantastic applicants there and you know, some people who are doing great projects. But what do you think it took, Mike? You know, why why are you a worthy winner? I, I know I know why you're a worthy winner, but you know, what does it take? What, you know, why do you think you, you walked away with the award? Yeah, quite a few people have asked me this, including my children, who have said, how the hell did you win? Um, but uh, <laughs> when I think back to some of the questions that were asked, they're very business-focused questions. They were less around the property itself. Um, so I think uh, it's got to be about how we run and manage the business. So there's quite a few questions around risk mitigation, risk management, controls, uh, questions about the portfolio, about measuring the portfolio, about uh, ensuring that um, the portfolio is well managed, um, and questions about what's the ethos, the product. And that's something we've spent quite a lot of time doing, just trying to be really, really clear on why the hell we're doing this in the first place and getting every single thing lined up so that we're pushing really hard on the most profitable and effective thing and we're managing the risks. So like one of our ethos is we haven't really talked about much is being repeatable, predictable and measurable. So, you know, all of our refurbs that we, we do, we estimate them, estimate them at the start. Um, and then as we track the invoices through, we then go and update our estimating calculator. So we have a simple spreadsheet. You know, I love a spreadsheet, um, but a simple one page spreadsheet. So we take to each viewing and uh, we estimate, estimate the yeah, refurb. And then at the end of that refurb, we go back and update the estimator. So every refurb has got the knowledge from the last one so the costs are quite minimal so managing risk and um, being absolutely clear on our product absolutely clear on our market absolutely clear on what the competition is doing in the market um, good appreciation of risk and how to mitigate it and what our criteria are for a good deal and a, and a bad deal so i think taking a whole 
really big step back. It would be trying to run a really well-managed business and treat it as a business and then getting a little bit down into the detail of well, how how do we make a really repeatable and predictable product that meets exactly what the needs of our customers are. It's funny, as you were sort of explaining those points there, I was thinking this to me sounds like business. This is how to run a business, a really well-oiled ship. Yeah. And, and then I think that's pretty much what, what, what you said, processes, systems, it's, it's the granular stuff. And interestingly, you're more detail-orientated than me, but you don't think that you're a details guy, do you? No, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not. I'm, you wouldn't describe yourself as a details guy. No, no, I, I'm, I'm really not. And uh, if you speak to Kerry, she will laugh long and hard to hear someone describe me as a details guy. Um, I have to force myself to do it. I, I really do. I like the bigger picture stuff. I like the vision stuff. I like setting the direction and trying to get a load of people to, to come along with me and get to the destination. But that's not how to run a business. And it was not how I ran the departments uh, that I, I ran before in corporate life, because a lot of information comes out of the data and the detail. And you can only make really good decisions if you've got data to back up those decisions. Otherwise, you're running on gut feel all the time and, and, and eventually you're just going to stop. But you're, you're right. It is basically trying to run a really good business rather than buying properties. It's trying to run a good property management and good property asset investment business and the asset class happens to be property i think to add as well and i mean this in the the most constructive way possible <laughs> oh god you need some great properties you do they're really great and actually you're in the student market and i know when you look at the student market the sort of stuff that people like us are doing are always going to be in the top percentile standards of accommodation but when, if I was, you know, let's say, just very sort of crudely from a purely aesthetic point, compared your projects to some other projects from that I see other people in our industry do, it's different. And maybe I think if I'm brutally honest, not the very high, very same exceptionally high standard. And I think that that's absolutely fine because because I've said before on the podcast, that is certainly not the be all and end all of, of investment. And actually, that's that's not always the best thing to do. It doesn't give you the best bang for your buck. I think what you have done is found that perfect intersection between what you do and what you spend and what you get out of it at the back back end. And I, the reason I want to highlight that is because I think you are an exceptional example to everybody that you don't need to be too carried away about how things look and, and making it the most incredible design and really Instagrammable. Yours are, of course, but there is a point at which it doesn't matter too much. It's much more important to be focused and maximise all of the other stuff, all of that detail, all of that business stuff. And for me, that's... And, and it, perhaps because I've been a bit more, I've had a bit more insight into what you've been doing behind the scenes. I, you know, I think you're a fantastic example of that. And clearly... It works. I hope not offended you there, Mike. <laughs> no, you, you haven't offended us at, at, at all. It's absolutely a very deliberate strategy of ours is to look at the market and look at what the competition is uh, delivering in our market and aiming in the top 5%, but not the very, very top. We really try and make sure our product is very durable, and that means sometimes compromising on those extra lovely features um so yeah it, it is quite a lot of white paint you know with some feature walls and you know, sometimes i think my instagram must be the most boring instagram ever because you'll see 
the same colour walls for feature walls and the same pictures and the same plants and the same furniture in multiple properties. But when you get tenants around, they think it's amazing. Um, so when I compare against the very best you've got on Instagram, we're not there. Um, but our product is very durable, um, easy to maintain year in, year out, and keep to a very high standard. So for our listeners who perhaps haven't, for some reason, listened to your original episode that you, you did on the podcast with us, go back and listen to that, guys. Just remind us, Mike, of your strategy in, in a nutshell. Yeah, so the strategy is really to try and enable us to get to our four key vision things, which is to have balance, a balance between uh, work, family and fitness, which is what I didn't have in my corporate job, charity, uh, intergenerational wealth and travel. So the, our strategy was saying, oh, how do we get to those four things, which are our most important things in our vision? And, and the strategy that get, gets there for us is a high cash flowing uh, strategy that allows us to hold assets for a very long time. So effectively buying student lets because the student cycle is periodic, uh, predictable and uh, allows us to travel when the kids are off on holiday. So that that's really what our strategy is. And that's been refined a little bit further down to five and six bedroom HMOs within a 15 minute walk of our university. <laughs> Some of them on the same street. <laughs> yeah, we've got quite a few on the closest street to the university, which we really, really like. We do like them getting very close because the, the, that's one thing you can't change, right? You can upgrade the spec of the property, you can change the price, but you can't change the location. So we, we always try to get them as close as possible. That's right. I'm sat smiling because I remember the first conversation we had and you were very open-minded, I remember, but one of, one of the ideas you were open to and seriously considering was investing up in the north where returns you had heard were better and possibly even looking at professional stuff. I don't think student stuff was really even on your radar and it was so funny because this, at a, at a glance, the, what you've achieved looks so obvious. You've been able to invest on your doorstep effectively mm -hmm. into this model has allowed it to be very scalable but it took sitting down and, and someone kind of pointing that out to you to really see it and I, and I think that that's poignant because for a lot of people they also don't see it often we think the grass is a little bit greener somewhere else and actually it can be right under our nose and sometimes even even if perhaps the optimum on paper isn't right there on our doorstep actually when you consider all the stuff off the paper, like you said, the travel and the freedom and all of those elements that you have to really think about if you're going to build a business, yeah. really important logistic components, the risk and you know, the teams that you build, that bit's off the paper. And I think it's just interesting that, that, that I remember that that's where you were kind of starting and your, your ideas were, were initially. And, and obviously over time, it, it's evolved into something really, really incredible and incredibly scalable. But I, th I think a lot of people will We'll take something away from that because it is easy, I think, to think that the grass is greener somewhere else. And sometimes you just got to look a little bit closer. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a, a rather, well, I found an offensive conversation where uh, someone was telling me how lucky I was to find all these things on my doorstep. And it wasn't, it wasn't luck that these things were on the doorstep. We took a very, very deliberate decision to take a lower return on investment on our cash and a lower capital growth than areas nowhere near me. So we were very seriously looking at investing in Liverpool. And then when uh, after our chat with, with you and the strategy day we did, and you pointed us towards student accommodation, we really considered doing student accommodation in Liverpool, um, where the returns were much better, the house prices were lower, there was no Article 4 or 4 a few years ago, 
Uh, and uh, that would have been a better capital growth and a better return on investment strategy. But it was the time. You know, it takes five hours to get from Norwich to Liverpool on the little tiny train that goes. And there's just no point for us to swap a corporate life to uh, where I'm traveling a lot to a uh, HMO investment life where I'm traveling a lot. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not luck and it's a deliberate decision, but it depends what's important, really. And, and time and balance was always really important for us. Well, you've achieved a huge amount in four years. You'd achieved a huge amount by the time you last came on the podcast. Tell us, looking back now on that, Mike, hmm. <laughs> with, I guess, retrospect, was it as easy as you thought? Was it as you expected? Was it more challenging? Give us a flavour of, of what the last four years have been been like for you actually building this business. Sure. There's really been three separate and distinct phases and, and it's it, it's really very distinct so the first phase was bloody hard so this is where i was in my corporate job i was traveling i was working really hard i was trying to turn a department around that wasn't being very successful and i also was trying to start a property business so that's full-on corporate job property business to start and trying to start a business that gives me more balance and time back at the same time as working full-time is, is ridiculously difficult and it just takes up a huge amount of time <laughs> so yeah that's yes. that was a tough tough phase and it, it did take a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time i remember you, you talked about the pomodoro technique mm. on that episode you were literally trying to find like 10 15 20 minute slots yeah anywhere in your day to basically just work on the business and over time in a week you know that accumulated and you're you're able to actually put some valuable time into starting it but that that is literally how you did it isn't it yeah it was 25 minutes before i started work and 25 minutes at lunchtime to try and get nearly an hour's worth of work property work in every working day and then sunday mornings up early tuesday evenings work all night and then try and fit in podcasts in the traveling time. So yeah, it was it was tough, but it was I knew it was going to be worth it. So the job was still there, and I wanted to make sure I was really successful in that, and I, and I didn't dip down and, and, and start failing in that before I left. Um, so that was the first phase, and that was quite a challenge. Second phase was when we were when I'd left work, and uh, I was looking forward to that and having all this huge amount of time and and the ability to travel, and so. Coronavirus kind of lockdown was in March and we left in May. I left my work in May. So the second phase of, of trying to scale the portfolio during coronavirus was and, and realizing that we couldn't do what we'd really want to do was travel. We couldn't do that at all. But the coronavirus did give us an opportunity to purchase a lot of properties cheaply. So we definitely look at a long time horizon for buying our property so we saw the coronavirus as a risk and also an opportunity and um, the risk that was that none of our students would pay which we were quite worried about and the opportunity was well eventually coronavirus will go away and therefore there's a lot of property available now that are cheap so we bought quite a few properties in that phase but it didn't feel good it felt rather awful having left the security of a job and not knowing if the students are going to pay not know if they're ever going to come back and how do we pay the bills you know i've just left a corporate job that was really quite nice and i could have been sitting there on 80 percent of my salary on furlough thank you very much um so yeah that was a a difficult time i think that says a huge amount about your attitude towards investment covid and i remember when the surveyors you know they brought in the material risks and 
there was all these issues and the, the lenders locked up and everyone just went into panic mode. And you needed some balls to think, you know what, I, I'm just going to keep buying. I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to actually try and take advantage of this. And mm. and you did that, which is hats off to you. A lot, a lot of people a lot of people didn't and in retrospect regretted it. Well, the stamp duty was one of the huge benefits as well, didn't they? Because they canned yeah. stamp duty for a while and you'll been able to capitalise on that. Yeah, and the people who really, really did want to sell in that time um, were quite happy to sell at a, a significant discount. Um, so, yeah, we, we picked up quite a few properties at a, a much cheaper price than we had done before um, and definitely since. Um, so that was that was good. So that was kind of the second phase. And then we're just really entering the third phase for us now, which is where we're slowing down our HMO purchases um, and focusing uh, less on cash flow and focusing more on capital growth uh, and time. So since the student turnaround uh, changeover this this year, uh, yeah, we've got more time and we're, we're focusing more on, on capital growth and the work we're doing together, Andy with Mark, uh, with Art Bellop Investor Group. So that's, uh, that, it feels like we're in the third phase with capital growth and commercial to resi conversions becomes a bigger part of the of the business. I'm going to cover my ears and pretend that you haven't just told me that more or less had enough of HMO, certainly for a while. <laughs> we can we can go back and edit that. Yeah, just take that out, out. Don't worry. So, and Mike, just just remind us because again, I, I think it's very easy to draw quick conclusions when you see people achieve things as as successful and as quickly as as you have. But you didn't leave your corporate job with a massive part that gave you a huge runway into this, did you? That did not happen. No, I mean back in 2018, we did um, remortgage our residential home and to pull cash out to buy the first two HMOs. Um, so we didn't start with cash. We had equity in our own home and we started with that. And then we did some couple of joint ventures and uh, we raised private finance to, to get the rest of the money. And uh, we recycled capital from the, the refurbs uh, and we used private finance to, to scale the business. So let's talk about your investment criteria then. I think this is one of those things we can all always talk about it front end when we're thinking about buying stuff and we we often talk about it shortly after we've done deals just as we're finishing the refurb and expecting the valuation black etc and actually over an extrapolated period like a four or you know five ten fifteen year period that picture evolves Mm -hmm. and it becomes much much clearer as to what has actually been achieved but in terms of your investment criteria and i think this will be really useful for our listeners mike Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking for when you go into deals, kind of minimum thresholds, and then actually what you have achieved in retrospect? Yeah, sure. It has evolved a little bit. So we had three KPIs that we measured uh, every deal against as a way of leaving work. So if, if I think my primary focus was to leave work, so I wanted to get cash flow in. So getting cash flow in for us meant how much cash are we going to generate per month from this property? And then how much cash am I going to be able to recycle from this deal to go and invest again? And then uh, another simple measure of, all right, how much how much is this room going to cost me? Fully refurbished property. Um, how much is that room going to cost me to generate that amount of rental income. So we we literally measured, is it going to give us more than a thousand pounds a month? Is it going to allow me to recycle 50% of my capital back out again? 
And the final one is, uh, is it going to cost me less than 50K per room for a non-ensuite property or less than 63K a room for uh, an ensuite property? So there were our three key measures that we had. And the reason why we chose those ones rather than return on capital employed or, or ROI, we also measure payback period, but that wasn't as important. Those three things were the things that were going to give us the quickest exit from work, uh, allow us to keep on buying properties and give us the cash flow in per month. So there were our KPIs. And we absolutely do measure more now, return on capital employed and uh, payback period. So the net profit that you were or are looking to see minimum per deal, mm. am I right in thinking that you that was initially £1,000 per property? Per property, yeah. We, I mean, that actually is a little bit low. So I think I think we've done less than £1,500 uh, a month per property. And also, uh, it's worth pointing out, I've never hit all three yet. So I've never got property okay. that's given me £1,500 a month, uh, 50% of the capital back out and 50 k a room. That, that 50% of the capital back out is just so hard to do. We usually miss it by... Yeah, I think we're about 43% is is where we are on our, our average. But that still gives us quite a bit of cash to pull out again, and then a few months for the rent to build up to, to make up that gap. And that point when that cash comes out, is this immediately on refurb, or have you been, over the last few years, have you been doing things like two-year mortgages and waiting a couple of years, and, and then a bit of capital appreciation? How have you, when have you actually been trying to extract that? It's been a combination. It's really a combination depending on the investment, whether it's our property that we've bought with solely our own cash or where we've got investors' cash that we need to pay back. So I think we've done most of the combinations of uh, two years just pulling the money out after a two-year fix, paying a ridiculously large early repayment charge and doing it after six or nine months, or paying a ridiculously large entry fee for a product that doesn't have an early redemption penalty on it, plus a couple of bridges as well. Um, so, yeah, I think we've done most of the combinations now. I like that answer. Basically, just just a mix of all sorts. You sort of do what you kind of need and as it sort of comes at you. Yeah. Well, if you hadn't, by your, your own admission, met all three of these, these KPIs, and like certainly the, the one about pulling capital out is quite an important one when you're thinking about the next project and, and refinancing and uh, knowing that you, you know you haven't just been sat on a huge amount of cash to just, mm. like continue in, in investing at will how have you managed those shortfalls then if if in each project an element of your capital has been swallowed up how have you managed to continue so successfully building that portfolio uh, the first one probably just to say really clearly we have been skint for four years just so <laughs> skint you know, because we're in the growth stage. So every single pound goes towards buying more properties. You know, I've never been poorer, yeah. ever, in terms of cash terms since I, than since I started investing in property. So what, that, that is one thing. It's just actually putting every single pound aside. I can only imagine the headline, HMO Property Investor of the Year <laughs> confesses how poor he is, splashed across the, the Daily Mail. <laughs> the Guardian, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah i know what you mean though it, it takes a huge amount not just like personal will and sacrifice but actual like hard cash it just buying properties is incredibly capital intensive isn't it it's just it's just a fact it's just the nature of the beast it is capital intensive and we wouldn't have been able to do it without saving hard reducing our expenses you know we don't have flashy cars and we don't haven't been doing very expensive things but also we've had some great investors along the way with us who have um, have invested and allowed us to 
buy the properties and they had confidence with us and uh, they've seen the money coming back and they've invested again with us. So that's been a, an instrumental part of our, our, our strategy and our approach. And I think with um, the finance piece as well, you've done something that I've done over the years, which has worked really well. And I think a lot of people naturally piece a property together with some private finance. Mm. And, and that makes sense, of course, particularly if there's security involved, you can give the charge away or you know, a debenture on a company, something like that. But but with the right relationships and with the right people, I know something that you and I have both done is we've had almost a bit of a, a floating facility, if you like, a facility that isn't necessarily linked to a particular project. It's there for a period of time and it, and it acts as a bit of a cushion between projects and almost like a normal loan that a business would take, mm. not necessarily linked to a particular project or anything like that. Has that been an important part of you being able to sort of bridge the gaps and then wait for you know the next refinance that came along somewhere down the line and, and so on and so forth? It hasn't been so much of a feature, actually. We have got uh, and have used those features before, but we've tried to be very targeted with our cash flow forecast. And, and that's probably the document I look at most of all in terms of planning out the next year and, and tracking every single month and to make sure that, you know, if our target is 50% of the money back out on each refurb, you know, that means we'll buy one of our own cash, we'll have the investor buying one with their cash, um, and uh, then we'll refurbish both of those refinance both of those and use the money to pay back the investor. And once you've got a few in the portfolio, how we've set it up is we've got um, uh, one limited company where we don't pull any cash out to live off whatsoever. So all of the rental income is reinvested back in and we use that rental income to make up any shortfall in the 50% that we pull out. And we just made sure that our cash flow forecast is is sufficiently clear and good that we know exactly when we are going to need to pay the investor back and also exactly when we need to start the remortgaging, because that has taken four to five months in many cases. And so we, we plan on five months to uh, give cash back just because it's taken such a long time through COVID and everything to get the, get the mortgage through. And then we think we're there and then it takes another three months to get the solicitors to just to process it. I mean, I'm sat here with mounds of paperwork behind me for a, a loan that's meant to be going through on Friday that almost definitely isn't going to go through on Friday just for the very same reason things just get pushed and pushed yeah. you know things beyond your control but it's really interesting and I, I totally get that and and actually I just want to pick up on something that you said which is you you really highlighted the point that reinvesting the cash that the portfolio has started to generate has been a key key feature and yeah. I something that I say to, to a lot of people perhaps don't say it enough and should say it more on the show is that once you get to a certain point, there is a tipping point, even you know, even in this our business, which is really capital intensive. And that is at about, I think, when you're at sort of about 70,000 in your portfolio, if you can kind of hive off 70,000 a year from your portfolio, at that point, for most people, unless you're living in an extremely expensive area like central London, I know there'll be people listening say not possible, but certainly you know, around most of the country, if you can hive off 70,000 from your portfolio, that will be the deposit on the next property. And I'm not saying it gives you the ability to engineer the next purchase. Mm. You might need some a mortgage or some private finance to buy it, bridge it, do your refurb. But that is kind of what you need for your next residual deposit. And actually, in your instances, when you're trying to buy for less than 50k a room and trying to re- recycle 50% of your capital, that that makes sense. That that means sort of on a 250,000 pound refurb, if you're leaving a 25% deposit in that, that's about there. So maybe your property is a bit more like three, 350, but 25% deposit, you can figure out very easily how much capital is remaining in, in the deal. And 
And I think when you get to that sort of 70,000 a year from your portfolio that you can just pump back in, it's buying you another one yeah. that year. And then the next year is a little bit easier still. And the next year is even easier. And, and all of a sudden you can buy two and you're not so reliant on having to force it through refinances and having to force it through uplifting value. So I think that was an important piece to pick up because for a lot of people, it does the idea of building a portfolio of 10 plus seems really, really far away. And actually... The mechanics to do it are achievable much earlier on. You've just got to be willing to make those compromises that you described. You can't have the flashy cars and you can't have the expensive lifestyle. You can't have it all No. if you want to build this. One of my old bosses used to say, you can absolutely have it all. You just can't have it all at once. So you can build an amazing portfolio. I love that, yeah. And, or you can have cash flow. You just can't have both at the same time. So... Yeah, and and it, how we've gone faster than uh, I thought we would is just by just by using private finance for one, and buying and buying one ourselves, and then refinancing them both out and paying the investor back, and saving up and doing the same. Do you think that it's fair to say that if you hadn't have taken the the leap to kind of move out the corporate world, this just wouldn't have been possible? I mean, what do you think would have been possible, Mike, if you stayed in? I mean, I, I can only look back at the speed of purchasing. So, like, we were buying about two a year when I was working, and then we bought five the year that uh, I stopped working. So that's the kind of over double the, the speed we went um, after uh, after I left corporate job. But the objective was always to leave the corporate world. That also doesn't really take into consideration the fact that you, you've got to manage these assets. Well, in your case, you decided to, to self-manage these assets, which is an increasing workload. The more you, the more properties you buy, the more tenants that you've got you've got to manage. The more showers that leak, yeah. the more tenants get locked out of the houses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I've also been lucky that Kerry uh, Kerry looks after the properties for us, so she runs our letting business. She's my wife, and you know we run the business together, and she manages all the properties, so she runs that side of the business, which is fantastic. I think it's a great example what you guys have done and have achieved. And I'm sure today's episode will be really inspiring for so many people. It's just that reminder that you don't have to do anything completely unique. There's no, there really is no secret sauce. There's no, you know, there isn't a secret to it. It's just hard graft and doing something that's very repeatable, very scalable and being kind of process driven and and treating it like a business. And that is why you've done so incredibly well. That's why you are HMO Investor of the Year. Put you on the spot, Mike. Knowing what you now know, sort of four years on from getting started, a little while since we did our last episode, well, what advice would you give to yourself as you embarked on this project, building this business, this venture? Yeah, probably two key things. I got a bit picky about getting buying things below market value or getting a good deal. So there's a couple of properties that were on the street that right next to university that I turned down, had the opportunity to buy. Um, I turned down because they were what I thought were overpriced at the time. Now they're about forty or fifty thousand pounds under the market value, and they are still on the same street. And they're still amazing properties, huge side gardens, garages that could be converted. And they're now sense more sensible investors have bought them and uh, converted them into beautiful six bedroom, huge bedroom properties, lovely lounge right next to university. So that desire to blow buy below market value, I think, is well touted and people say you make your money uh, when you buy and, and, and i'm sure that's true but i wish i'd bought those properties right next to university and not worried that i was paying market value or, or two or three thousand above market value because if you're investing for the long term it really really doesn't matter so that, that was probably the yeah. first bit 
and you can almost feel it and I hear it in my voice because it really bugs me every time I drive past them and they're not mine. <laughs> yeah, I can, ima- I can imagine. Yeah, uh, that's the first one. And the second one is just durability. You know, I tried to cut corners and on shower screens or quality of product and it's just coming back to buy me now. Just buy the most highest quality, most durable things you can and put them in because the cost of that is is tiny compared to the cost of getting maintenance people out to fix them or your own time going to, to fix them if you don't use maintenance people. So, yeah, they're the two big things. Build quality in from the start and don't worry about too much about below market value. <laughs> great. Both great pieces of advice. Well, you, you know the podcast well enough by now, Mike, to know that we like to keep a good balance of, of the good, the bad, and, and the ugly on the show. And things are changing outside, you know, as we record this, and we've had a number of conversations about this because we're in business, we're building some flats and doing things like that. And what's happening in the economy and interest rates and inflation is is really important to us as property investors, mm. as are our you know ongoing goals and our personal objectives the the things that we still want to go on and achieve despite what's happening despite these things that we can't control so i wanted to ask you for the benefit of all of our listeners how you feel about things at the minute what you're doing how you're changing if you are changing anything and whether you've got any advice for our listeners that you that you could share um, about how they approach you know the changes that we're we're currently facing these i suppose turbulent times yeah, you asked me how I'm feeling. I'm feeling exasperated and frustrated that we seem to have a government and a Bank of England working opposite each other. I can't get my head around how the Bank of England has a target to reduce inflation and the government has uh, uh, targets to put in place mass- massively inflationary policies. That's So personally, I'm frustrated at the lack of sense that makes and the constant unsettlement in the market, uh, which has given the rise in interest rates and potential down valuations of properties coming up uh, over the next year. So I am frustrated. Um, I think it's going to be completely avoidable, um, but it is what we have. And so we have to deal with it. And uh, for us, we started moving most of our products onto five-year fix a while ago. We still have some coming up uh, next year. I think we've got four refinances next year. And we did do a review um, over the weekend after the announcement of the mini budget. So our mortgage broker and I spent Saturday morning just going through our mortgages, the early redemption penalties. And we took the view that uh, the market had already moved and the market was already priced in a lot of the uh, expected growth. So if I take one of our products that I've got at 3.89 and 4.25%, they're now at 7 So the market's already priced in a lot of the interest rate movements. So that really means for us, if it's already priced in, if it goes up by 1% or 2% more, it's not really going to make a huge amount of difference. It will mean our cash flow is reduced. That's frustrating. But I also think rents will be going up as well. So that for us is a cash flow impact, which we expect to mitigate by rent rises because the rest of the market is, is rent is rising significantly. The one that we're paying particular attention to is that the potential reduction in house prices. So especially as we're doing refurbs now, now we want to refinance them at the end. And when we're doing our larger commercial conversions, they take 12 to 18 months sometimes. And if you have a down valuation on those properties, then that can be a serious amount of cash that you can't find down the back of the sofa. So having a lower loan to value expectation and stress testing at 10% below the current market value is what 
Andy, we did last week and the week before, haven't we? We did. So <laughs> that's what we're doing together and also in clay properties because that's the thing that's going to have the biggest impact for us. So, yeah, final thing is just material prices continue to edge up. I think uh, 1st of October, bricks went up 20% reducings, for example. And so uh, yeah, actual material prices are increasing. Um, so I'm a mixture of frustrated at the, what I think is an un- is a, uh, avoidable event that we find ourselves in, recognize that the market has changed. We're probably going back to more normal interest rates. We've had a very depressed interest rate for a very long time, which I think has been fantastic for us, but not really normal. And uh, we're just making sure that we stress test our deals more and, uh, and, and aim for lower loan to value at the end. Do you feel like the longer term outlook, let's say interest rates, is, interest rates holding at elevated levels or ele- levels elevated above those that we've been used to for the last decade, let's say, even if they averaged around for 5%, and who, who knows, but do you feel like in any way it materially affects the viability of, of investing in properties? Or do you think that everything will just sort of adapt to that and we'll find another normal equilibrium like you said rents go up costs maybe balance back out and and profits start to stabilize again i think they will balance out you know if you look back 5 10 15 20 30 50 years capital prices of properties have continued uh, some of those times they had 12 15% interest rate and then it comes back down to, to 5 or, or 6%. And then, then we've had crashes. We've had unbelievably low interest rates. So I think market forces will continue to be uh, to play. And we're in an environment we've got such a staggering lack of housing supply that isn't being addressed. You know, we haven't had any of the levelling up that uh, was, was promised. And so we're still in an environment where there are just physically less houses and there are people to get them. So we've, we've got an under-supply and an over-demand the legislative environment where more landlords are leaving the market, which means the rental stock supply is going down as well, which must mean if there's less supply and the demand is going up, then the prices will adjust accordingly. So for interest rate rises, I think we're already seeing adjustments in the rent uh, to mitigate that for uh, for capital growth. I think capital growth is a long-term game. Um, so over the space of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it, it will be another blip. Um, and we'll look back in 10 years and go, oh, yeah, that was a blip, wasn't it? Just like COVID, you know, COVID massive global pandemic dip is is soon forgotten. You're so right. I think the key takeaway for me there is is the the long term piece. It's going to be bumpy. Steady the ship at the minute. Shore it all up, and yeah, maybe expect that things are going to look a little bit different for for the next year. Maybe the next couple of years. But long term, property has been forgivable over the, the last two hundred years, and I think it'll continue to be. So I think it's just important that we all understand those material risks that you talked about as we got started today that mm. you sort of credit as part of how you've been able to do this so successfully i think we all need to understand those material risks at the minute make sure that we can mitigate them make sure we've got contingencies at the moment for these worst case outcomes higher rates when we come to refinance a down valuation and there's various things that we can do but i think long term and this is very much where my head is at we'll be okay yeah it will all stabilize and then at, you know at some point things will will return to growth phase. And that might seem some way off right now, and that's, that's fine. But, I, you know, I very much think it will. So that, that's how I'm approaching my business. I'm just you know, making changes with all of that in mind. Yeah, and, and the newspapers are great at highlighting the, the downside. They never say much about the upside. 
So, you know, the, the pound going down to, to 103 against the dollar was everywhere, all over the news. They didn't say it went back up to 112, so about the same as before the budget. No one published that, published that on the front page. So, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of doom and gloom in the market from the newspapers and the media that, uh, that actually belies that house prices are actually still rising, even though at a slower rate than they were a couple of months ago. Mike, it's been a huge pleasure to have you back on the show. It's always great fun chatting property with you. We do it often. I guess now knowing that there's, you're quite happy with the HMO stuff and you're not actively sort of accelerating the growth of that part of your business, for any of our investors or listeners, is there still a way of working with you? Are there still options to come and get involved in the things that you are doing? Yeah, absolutely. So if I think about our business uh, and our developing investor group, we do have a target of buying another commercial property this year. We've got a target of buying uh, at least four commercial properties next year. So we are working with some fantastic investors at the moment, got long-term relationships with. Some of those are just a straight investment basis. Others are on an earn and learn basis. So I'm sure as we look to the four commercial properties that we'll be buying next year, if there's anyone who wants to do an earn and learn with us or just a straight investment, then yeah, please feel free to get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to myself, reach out to Mike if you're interested in getting involved and being a part of, I suppose, this next part of our own journey. It's quite nice. It's quite nice to be able to do it together as well. I've got to admit, you know, it's more enjoyable doing it together. I often describe properties as like surfing. You spend a lot of time sat out the back, often not, not doing much, not catching waves. And then when you do catch a wave, you normally end up getting tumble, getting washing machined around for, for a while. But it's all always so much more fun when you're doing it with someone else. <laughs> it's just not as fun when you're doing it on your own. But of course, anyone who wants to learn, anyone who wants to just get involved, anyone looking for a return on investment, then yeah, reach out to Mike, reach out to, to myself, and we'll see whether or not we can work together. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. I don't know where you go from here. Next year, let's see if we can, uh, maybe you're, you're on someone's show or back on the show as commercial property investor of the year. <laughs> Who knows? But the sky certainly seems to be the limit for you at the, at the minute, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been great fun. And whew, I guess we'll we'll plan to have you back on, no doubt, at some point either later this year to catch up on some AIG projects or certainly next year just to catch up on what it is that you're up to and, and what's happening in your property business. Fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Good to speak to you again. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode with myself and Mike. What a great ambassador for our industry, Mike, is. Don't forget that I'm on hand over in the HMO community. It's our free group on Facebook. And you'll find Mike hanging out over there as well. So if you want to come and ask questions, you want to find some guidance and support, if you're having any issues at all in your HMO property business, then that's a great place to start. Of course, if you want to scale things up this year, then you need to head over to the hmoroadmap.co.uk. Mike has done a masterclass in there about goals, strategy, and vision. It's absolutely fantastic. But of course, as a member, you'll get access to much more than just the master classes. You've got the full roadmap 60 lesson course. You've got downloadable resources. You've got the deal stacker. You've got all the case studies and even more. And guys, before you dash off, can I ask you a huge favor? Please, please, please leave a quick review of the show. And remember that we're running a competition at the minute. We're doing a giveaway. All you need to do is leave a review of the podcast. Just make sure your name's in that review or at least you screenshot and just send me a message either on Instagram or Facebook to show me that it was you and that you've reviewed the podcast. And at the end of the month, we're going to choose a winner at random and we're going to nominate one person and give them access for a full year to the HMO roadmap. So that could be you. 
Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Don't forget that I'll be right back here in the very same place next time. So please join me then for another installment of the HMO Podcast. Thank you.